This is the Daily Curio. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. Here I am on the beach at Sanibel Island. Once you get past the pier, you are on a more southern part of the island, and the waves here are a bit stronger. You can probably hear that. It's still a very calm day, but you get more of a sense that you're on the ocean here. And though some people do walk here barefoot, you see them doing it very gingerly. There are so many seashells that it's painful to walk, if not outright dangerous. I hardly ever come out here without shoes on. Oh, here's something interesting. It is what I learned it was called a starfish, although today they're called sea stars because the people who name things are trying to get the word fish out of anything that's not actually a fish. Jellyfish are now sea jellies, for example. But this starfish, though it has five arms, is a little different. If you've seen the sea star before, you're familiar with the shape. It's five arms, fairly evenly distributed. But this one has all five arms on one side. So if you can imagine a clock, it has an arm pointing at 12 and at 6, and also at 9, but then also at 10.30 and 7.30. At some point during this starfish's life, it had been damaged, and rather than just die, it decided to grow back new arms, but it couldn't grow them back in exactly the right place, so it did the best it could. It is a five-armed starfish that is lacking in symmetry. And throw him in the water, because he's quite clearly still alive, and we'll see if he has a chance. One thing we've started to find on the beach here that took us a little while to identify are bones from pigs. They're ankle bones and knee bones. Yeah, it seems an odd thing to find on the beach, especially in quantity. You could imagine finding one or two, but here we're finding large numbers of them. The crab fishermen here have started using these bones as bait for crabs, and apparently when they're done with them, they just dump them overboard, and they do float a bit, so they're ending up on the beach here. So while you could say, mm, they don't belong here, and I suppose it's technically litter, it's not a big deal. They just decompose. So because it's a beach, it's ever-changing. Every time I come here, it's, it's a little bit of a different shape. Um, the beach isn't always exactly the same place. And apparently, since I was last here, there's been quite a bit of erosion in the spot where I am right now. Now, if you look at a map, I am right by the lighthouse. And there's been a lot of construction here over the years. There was a pier here. This is where um, boats would come and bring supplies. And due to the current erosion, I think I have found what is essentially the remnants of the pier. There are large chunks of concrete laid out in a pattern. Uh, you can see where they clearly fit together, and they, they stick out at an angle that points pretty much right at Fort Myers. I've never seen this here before, and today it's as clear as day. You couldn't miss it. This was all under the sand before. Some of this, too, could be remnants of something that was here during World War II. Next to the lighthouse, there was a tall tower. So imagine a fire tower, if you will. Maybe 30 feet in the air with a big, sort of a house-like platform on top. And there would be someone stationed in there, looking out, looking for submarines. 
During World War II, the United States was terrified of a submarine attack on its shores. And there's a lot of shore in the United States. Now, people don't think of Florida as a battlefield for World War II. It wasn't hard for the people living in Florida, surrounded by all that water, to imagine U-boats coming up and firing a few shots off at their city lights. Because of the location of Sanibel Island, it commands a view over the bay, and it could see ships heading in and out of the Caloosahatchee River. So they thought it would be a good place to put a submarine watching tower, and hopefully they would see them. It's also very shallow here, so if a submarine did come in here, it would most likely come in surfaced. So they would have a pretty good chance of seeing it. I know of no reports of them actually seeing one, but they were prepared just in case. Now, having seen one, what would they have done about it? I don't know. I assume there were some warships nearby. Tampa isn't that far to the north. They could be here within a few hours. The lighthouse here is 150 years old. It is not the most attractive lighthouse in the world. If you're picturing a big, tall, white lighthouse, this isn't that. This lighthouse is brown and made of metal pipes. And though it has the traditional lighthouse shape at the top, it's really not the most attractive lighthouse. It's very steampunk. So you can appreciate it like that. Currently sitting on the railing are two osprey. Osprey, also known as Seahawks, as in Seattle Seahawks, were once severely endangered, probably due to DDT weakening their eggs. They have made an amazing comeback here in Sanibel. In fact, you see them fairly often. And it's, it's a lot of fun to see the osprey flying around with enormous fish in their talons because they are fishing hawks. So they'll go in and grab a fish that's easily the size of the bird carry it off to a tree and, and eat it as much as they can. I'm not even mentioning most of the seashells I'm finding because to me, having been to Sanibel so often, they're just fairly common. But to someone who's never been here before and is used to beaches, it, it's, it's quite something. Whereas you could walk on the beach for a mile in most places and maybe find one or two interesting shells, there are interesting shells every few feet. And what typically happens is the first-time visitor to Sanibel will end up with a giant bag full of seashells after a half-hour's walk on the beach. And then by the end of the week, they're a little bit more picky. There's a dead fish here. Looks like a sea robin. It has been well picked over by the fish, making identification difficult. Sometimes you see these white worms on the beach. They have a peculiar characteristic. Um, I found this out when I was a youth here, that if you stomp on them, they'll squirt out something that looks quite a bit like Kraft Dinner. And if you aim it properly, um, well, you can make your friends mad at you. I've since learned that they are actually called parchment worms, and they live under the sand. But a big storm will wash them up, and sometimes they're found in great numbers on the beach because of that. One of the birds they have here in good numbers are terns, specifically royal terns. And while at a quick glance these look like seagulls, they're actually quite different and they're a lot more endangered. So they're highly protected and there are sections of the beach that are roped off where the terns like to go and they ask you not to go in there. And there's one of those here. So where I am right now, now that I've come around the corner of the island, the beach is wider. It's probably 50 feet from the edge to the ocean. And then the edge is all grasses. There are sea oats and other types of grasses. And then just behind that, the forest starts, or the woods. And that's where the sea grapes and the palm trees begin. So it actually looks quite wild and tropical. 
Here's a piece of a large sand dollar. Sand dollars, you can tell if they're alive, if they're a dark brown color. And if you pick them up and look at the bottom, you'll see little tiny feet moving around. It's illegal in Lee County, where Sanibel is, to collect any live shells. And that includes sand dollars, sea urchins, basically anything that's not a fish you cannot collect. And this is to try to preserve the shells here. Shells are not as common as they once were. But compared to the rest of the world, they're still pretty common. There are a couple of ibis a few feet from me. They know exactly the right distance to keep from you so that there's no chance you could catch them. But they don't want to have to move too much, so they don't keep a hundred feet distance. You find different types of seashells depending on where you walk on the beach. So while I tend to walk right at the surf's edge, tempting the water to splash my feet, that means I tend to find mostly the heavier shells. The lighter shells go higher up on the beach, so there's a, there's a seashell here called a paper fig, which is a very thin-shelled sea snail. You will typically find up on the higher parts of the beaches, because they will go up as far as the waves will go, where other shells will drop out earlier. So down where I'm walking, I tend to find things like fighting conchs, lightning whelks, um, all the bivalves, things like that. Not all the seashells you find here are pretty, some of the largest shells here are called pen shells, and they're, they're a little hard to explain. They're sort of shovel-shaped, and I'm sure that the people who lived here used them for digging. And they're called pen shells because they produced a mother of pearl that was used in pens. But they actually have a more interesting history than that. Like mussels and some other shells, they produce these fibrous filaments that they would use to attach themselves to the bottom or to rocks or whatever, and properly prepared that substance would produce an incredible purple dye. Purple, at one time, was the rarest of dyes, and it was reserved for royalty, which is why we see people in purple robes and such throughout history. Some of that dye came from these really ugly shells. Another crab that's common here is the ghost crab. And it's called that because you can watch it run along the beach, and then it will disappear before your eyes. What it's in fact doing is digging in a little bit and blending in. It has absolutely the perfect coloring. Years and years and years of evolution have assured that, as if they were visible, the birds would take them in a second. But it's an interesting thing to watch, a, ghost, uh, a crab running across the beach and then disappearing. Another thing that surprises some people is when they find a choice shell. It's exactly the shell they've been looking for to complete their collection. And then they pick it up and turn it over, and inside, they see a big claw. There are many, many hermit crabs here. And so often when you find a really good shell, it will have a hermit crab in it. Why is that? Well, it's because a shell without a hermit crab will tumble and roll and bang into all the other shells and rocks and stuff as it comes up on the beach. The ones with the hermit crabs inside are guided. The hermit crab doesn't want to go through all that, so it stays hidden in the shallows. It keeps the shell protected while it's protecting itself. That's why it's so common to find an absolutely perfect shell, only to be disappointed to learn there's a hermit crab inside. How you doing? Hello. There's a whole school of manatees out there. Manatees, huh? Yeah, I just got a video of them. I was out there, there's a big sandbar. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's about 15, 18 of them. Wow. About 15 feet from them. They just came right past me. I was just no kidding. While we were out there shelling. That's amazing. And then my buddy was over here coming out. And he hollered at me and he said, 
what's over there to the left of you? I looked, and then one lady said, I think that the people were coming out of their hotels oh, yeah. down. <laughs> they were following them. Wow. <laughs> and well, I was just out there shelling, just looking for mm -hmm. stuff. And all of a sudden, I just stand there like this, and they swam right past. That is beautiful. That is awesome. That's amazing. Well, thank you very much for telling me. I yeah, appreciate so it. Yeah, they're down that way. I'll take a look. Thanks. Manatees are thought to have been the inspiration for mermaids, which may be possible, um, it's hard to say, but they are certainly not the most attractive animals in the world. Well, I managed to get out here without getting too wet, and sure enough, I can see what look like coconuts bobbing in the water, but I know they're manatees. That's how you can tell you're seeing manatees in the distances. They look like coconuts that move and submerge. So yeah, I guess the warm water temperatures that we're experiencing here are calling the manatees out. That is pretty cool. And that's it for our walk on the beach. Thanks for listening. I know this was a long episode. We're going to do one more live episode uh, exploring some of the other wonderful things Sanibel has to offer. So thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.